0: do living fossils really exist the answer is clearly yes and no this oxymoron was coined by charles darwin and continues to fascinate scientists and laypersons alike In the 1958 sci-fi movie, Monster on the Campus, Arthur Franz, playing Dr. Donald Blake, takes possession of a coelacanth. Asked by a student if the fish is really a million years old, he explains that it's the species that's old. No change in millions of years. See, he says, the coelacanth is a living fossil, immune to the forces of evolution, As Alexander Wirth and William Scheer eloquently explain in an article they published in American Scientist, this bit of the story is fiction. The good doctor has drawn the same erroneous conclusion about living fossils as overzealous creationists. The species of coelacanth discovered since the 1930s are certainly primitive-looking and retain conspicuous features seen in fossils, but they are not the same species as the fossils and fossils preserve only a fraction of the attributes of a species. While conspicuous aspects of their morphology have been conserved, there are details of anatomy, internal organs, physiology, genes, and behavior that we cannot compare. Olivier Ripel recently explained that every species is a mixture of primitive, that is, plesiomorphic, and derived, or apomorphic, features. When certain conserved attributes, including conspicuous morphological structures and body forms, appear little or unchanged when compared to ancient fossils, we are tempted to use the term living fossil to describe them. It is in the context of comparative studies and an understanding of phylogenetic relationships that the word has biological significance. So, I am of two minds with respect to the phrase living fossil. On one hand, In one sense, they do not really exist because every species is a mosaic of primitive and derived. In spite of superficial appearances, all species have evolved since the time when their ancestors were preserved in the fossil record, even when suites of obvious characters have been retained in more or less the same form. On the other hand, I, like most people, find the urge to use the phrase for certain species discoveries absolutely irresistible. Worth and Sheer tapped into what draws us to the mystique of living fossils, brilliantly relating the concept to considerations as diverse as rates of evolution, forces of speciation, ecology, genetics, and paleontology. For a deeper, thought-provoking essay about living fossils and their implications, Their article is a superb read. I came away from their paper with several significant take-home lessons about living fossils, including the important observation that there is no single criterion by which we may judge a species to be a living fossil. There are, in practice, a number of factors that singly or in combination lead us to make that assertion. What are these factors associated with living fossil status? First, Living fossils may possess conservative features that have been retained or little changed compared to their ancestors in the fossil record. But, as already said, every species examined closely possesses a mixture of conserved and novel characteristics. This is a byproduct of evolution. As Norman Platnick once put it, every heritable character of an ancestral species is faithfully passed on to each and every one of its descendant species, either in its original form or in some subsequently modified form. In this sense, species are all living fossils, and as was written in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun, only an accumulation of stepwise transformations through time. Even the most impressive and apparently unprecedented characters, seen in phylogenetic context, are modifications of ancestral characters and genes. Second, living fossils may seem to have persisted unchanged over long periods of geologic time. Some of the most celebrated examples of living fossils have involved the discovery of one or more living species in a group previously believed to have gone extinct millions of years before, and we are astonished to suddenly realize that the lineage is still around. Third, living fossils bear a striking resemblance to ancient fossil species, contributing to the impression that they are indeed little changed. Again, the limited number of characters preserved and observable in the fossil record means that many subsequently evolved attributes are not visible to us. Worth and Scheer summed it up masterfully, saying that the wonder of evolution is that although no organism is a complete living fossil, All are, to some extent, living fossils. Fourth, so-called living fossils may have limited or relictual geographic distributions, but not always. Some, like horseshoe crabs, may be both locally common and widespread. And fifth, living fossils have low taxonomic diversity. When there are large numbers of living species, we tend not to think of them as living fossils, even though they may exhibit conserved ancestral attributes. With 5,000 species, about the same number as all living mammals, the discovery of a new species of dragonfly or damselfly does not make headlines as a living fossil, yet significant aspects of their body structure is little changed in 300 million years. Because there exists no single criterion by which we judge a species to be a living fossil, it is no wonder that the phrase is inconsistently defined and applied. Because all species are a mixture of primitive and derived attributes, the demarcation of living fossil is necessarily arbitrary. Even when questioned in respect to their biological significance, living fossils continue to awe, intrigue, and inspire us. As Worth and Sheer make clear, the idea of living fossils connects us to an amazing array of thought traditions, from genetics to ecology and evolution, and anything that reminds us of the wonder of life's diversity and history, that prompts us to marvel and think, is a good thing. The muddled idea of living fossils may ultimately have its greatest importance in sparking our imaginations. But that is reason enough to continue to recognize and celebrate living fossils, and to keep the phrase in our vocabulary. Spoiler alert! In Monster on the Campus, mild-mannered Professor Blake, after exposure to the blood of the coelacanth, turns into a menacing Neanderthal. As he explained to his students, man is the only creature that can decide whether to evolve or devolve. That. Quote, Unless we learn to control the instincts we've inherited from our ape like ancestors, the race is doomed. End quote. As we witness thousands of species extinctions each year, including living fossils by whatever criteria, we recklessly focus on assuring that our own animal needs for resources are met, while risking the loss of irreplaceable evidence and insights into the origins of life's diverse species including modern humans. Self-preservation is a powerful instinct, but we owe it to ourselves, science, and future generations to do more to explore, inventory, and document the diversity and history of life before it is too late. After all, if fossils can live, then they can die too. For the Species Hall of Fame, this is Quentin we are.